0: I did not know you had a a blazer. I have many blazers.
1: Well done. I have many, many blazers.
0: You look so thin. I look thin? You look thin. Yeah. New
1: haircut today. Maybe that's what it
0: is. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. So that being said, do we need to change the name of our podcast? So instead of calling it Welcome to the Music, we call it Welcome to the Pre-Show. Or should we have two podcasts? I don't know. Okay.
1: I honestly expected to get on here and you're going to want to talk about Neil Young. Oh, Uh, we are going to to talk.
0: You want to talk about
1: Damon Albarn and Taylor Swift's little spat? We are going to talk. Not whether we're going to change the name of our podcast.
0: No, that is true. So, anti-vaxxers, Eric Clapton and Van Morrison, have a song called The Rebels. And they ask in their song, where have all the Rebels gone? Well, I bring to you You bring to me. This man. This one. Yeah. Neil Young. I bring to you Neil Young, that man has been rebelling against the machine since he started playing music. Yes. And he does not give a flying fidu. You're pulling out a
1: Bobcat Macau in reference, <laughs> but go
0: ahead. He doesn't care. He, he, he. Follows his own muse when it comes to music. Yep, he has his beliefs. Yep, he doesn't check the temperature of what his beliefs uh, mean. You know, he's not saying, "Okay, is this the right thing to say? Is it the wrong thing to say? Uh, Is it um, politically correct or incorrect?" Uh, He stands by his beliefs. It's in his music. It's in the decisions he makes about what he does. And he follows through on it. And so what are we talking about? Uh, I don't know if only um, people who follow music would know the story or not. But Greg, yesterday evening, my heart skipped a beat. I was on Twitter and I quickly glanced over to trending topics and Neil Young was trending. And I'm like, there's no reason for Neil Young to trend.
1: not his birthday. It's
0: not his, it's not November. Um, Yes. He just put out a new album and a new documentary that you can find on YouTube. uh, But that documentary is not going to win any awards. Uh, Why is he trending? And so there was a sigh of relief when he was just railing against the machine. (laughs) Yeah. So here's what he did. Um, On his website, neilyoungarchives.com, he put up a letter. And he asked or demanded Spotify to remove his music. The reason being that Spotify has an exclusive agreement with Joe Rogan and his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Probably one of the top three podcasts in the English-speaking world. Um, Tens of millions of listeners, streamers, downloaders, however you want to call it. And Joe Rogan is a uh, anti-vaxer. Um, who
1: shares misinformation?
0: Who share? Yes, yes, yeah. It's not you can be an anti and not share misinformation. That's he yeah. is both. You're, yes, that is that is correct. He shares a lot of misinformation, wrong information, and um, and just spout. You know, just puts it out there, and so he has a lot of influence. Neil Young might be a two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Uh, Might be one of the most prolific songwriters of our time. Uh, Might be one of the top guitarists of all time. But he doesn't, when it comes to mass popularity today, doesn't hold a candle To the popularity of a Joe Rogan. And so Neil Young is basically saying to Spotify. Remove me from your platform. Now there's a a number of things. uh, That come right into play. Uh, Number one. Neil Young couldn't care less if he's removed from Spotify. I could care less. Um, And he knows that. He knows that if Spotify had to remove him, he would. But on the other side, Greg, we talked about this last year. Neil Young and many of these uh, artists of his uh, generation no longer own their catalog. In fact, Neil Young last year sold 50% of his catalog to... Hypnosis. And so um, he's not, he just doesn't have to ask his record label. He also has to ask these hypnosis. The fellas, yeah. To say, Hey, if it's okay with you, you know, please request. And business that.
1: Partners like the money that comes in from the spins. I'm sure.
0: Sure. That's part of the deal, right? The deal was that, that hypnosis, took a look at his catalog and said, there's money to be made here. And one of the channels they're going to make money from is going to be streaming. And so Spotify is one of those streaming giants uh, that provides a decent amount of income, I'm sure, to uh, Hypnosis and Neil Young. Yep. But it is so great to see um, someone like Neil Young stand up against, just stand up against uh, against a a a business or uh, a system that he knows he's got you know no fighting chance against, and he also knows that if they go through with it, you know that's a loss of income, however large or small it may be. a a loss of income to Neil Young. And not just that, but should things improve and he goes on tour? There's a loss of a lot of data that I'm sure Spotify has uh, and opportunities. Um, You know, you're probably familiar. You might be listening to several artists. And back in the before times that artist goes on tour, you're getting an email. You're getting a notification from Spotify saying, hey, this artist that you really like listening to is going uh, on tour. Here is a... A pre-sale code to use, um, or here's information. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of lots of things that Neil Young uh, is uh, is leaving on the table with this ask. Now, again, it's not just his call. There's there's a uh, business partners that he needs to persuade. But um, oh yeah, I saw that, and I just standing ovation. Way to go, Uncle Neil. And here I
1: thought, when you started with Eric Clapton, you were giving me a segue to a documentary that I want to talk about with our guest that's coming up, Richard Krause.
0: And so let's go to our conversation with Richard Krause. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find him at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
2: Hey, I'm Richard Krause, film critic for CTV. You can see me on the CTV News Channel on CP24. Listen to my syndicated radio show on the iHeartRadio network. Uh, And right now it's time to say welcome to the music.
1: Wait, wait a second.
0: Time out. Wait, Time wait, out. wait a second. Where's hey? Where's you the go. tie? Where's
1: we got it? dressed up for yeah?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you. We've know, got the glasses, the ties. I, I love it all. But uh, there's a there's a little pile of ties over there. I could put one on, but it's all uh, good.
1: It's all uh, good.
2: Yeah.
1: Karen said to me today, he messaged me, he goes, "Should we should we wear ties?" I'm like, "That's a great idea. We'll get dressed." <laughs>
2: yeah normally we're wearing
1: our
0: rock shirts and you know whatever yeah
2: that's right yeah yeah yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> the glasses are, you is is a, you know we have to we're at that age now richard that the glasses stay
2: don't tell me about it yeah, yeah. No, they were uh, the, on i never take them off there was a time when i would if i didn't need them i would take them off and lose them uh yeah. and so i don't do that anymore no nope, okay. they just stay on
0: yeah, pretty soon I'm going to be like my dad. I'll have strings attached to them.
2: <laughs>
0: and I'll just let them hang if I don't eat much.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will never do that. But you feel free
1: to do You go, you go. Yeah, there's,
0: there's that. There's the minivan. What else are we not supposed to do? <laughs> mm,
1: yeah, I'm yeah. at the point though where I can't even take them off because I need them no matter what. Like I, I couldn't just take them off and walk around. So it doesn't.
2: Work. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, and you know, I, I have a bunch of different glasses that I wear. I kind of rotate uh, through them, and uh, and I don't want to take them off. You know, they're, yeah. they're kind of like, to me, they're, they're like wearing my wedding ring or wearing a, you know, Yeah. A, a suit and tie. It's just part yeah. of the thing now.
1: Part of, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, uh, you know, putting up with my having to reschedule back in December, but, uh, the only
2: reason that I put up with that is because it has something to do with Campari and exactly uh, Negronis are the the king of cocktails. I like them. I like Campari, so I gave you a pass on that. <laughs> I but, do.
1: I do appreciate that. And yeah. and once we get once we get past COVID, we will <laughs> we will circle back for a second discussion, and we will have some. Well, you and I have some Negroni.
0: Still have a Diet Coke. Okay. Good. <laughs> good. All right. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. Um, Richard, right off the top. Um, we are recording on January 25th. Yesterday, uh, Neil Young, my musical uh, icon, uh, was trending on Twitter. And yep. whenever uh, someone of his ilk is trending on Twitter, my heart drops. Uh, but uh, I saw why he was trending and I was like, oh, yeah, way to go, Neil. Uh, your thoughts on Neil Young and his public spat with uh, Spotify?
2: Well, you know, it's not the first time, you know, a few years ago, he decided that he didn't want his music on Spotify and he relented after a a little while uh, and the music all went back up there. But people are kind of framing what's happening now as an ultimatum. Now, he does say in his letter, it's either me or Joe Rogan, Spotify, you choose. Well, Spotify just paid Joe Rogan $100 million (laughs) uh, to buy his podcast. So I think Neil Young knows which way this fight is going to go one way or the other. But I don't really see it as an ultimatum. I see it as Neil Young not really caring if he's on Spotify or not. I mean, the reason he left, left last time is he didn't think that the sound quality was what he wanted it to be. And that hasn't changed. So there's, you know, there's, there's one check. Uh, Neil Young probably makes, I don't know, 250 bucks a year. I don't know how much they make, but they don't make a lot of money off Spotify. You know, Taylor Swift will every now and again, uh, post a check that she gets from Spotify. And she's one of the biggest selling artists in the world. And it's for absurdly small amounts of money. So it's not like by saying, i 'm going to leave spotify that he 's leaving a big paycheck behind what he 's doing, I think is just simply uh, expressing he 's always been a political guy he 's expressing his his displeasure. He yeah. believes in science, he believes that you should be double and triple and maybe quadruple vaccinated uh, and Joe Rogan he thinks is spreading misinformation about that and does not want his name alongside that that to me is a is reasonable. Uh, that to me isn't censorship because we all know which one in, of them is going to uh, be shown the door. It's going yeah. to be Neil Young one way or the other. And Neil Young opened that door and, and put one foot out of it uh, by writing this letter. I say good for Neil still after all these years, 50 years or more of uh, no, is that 50, yeah, 50 some odd years of making records? He's still putting his uh, artistry where his mouth is, maybe not his money so much in this case, but certainly his artistry.
0: Yeah. It was interesting when, uh, when I found out about this on Twitter, I was actually uh looking at or looking for um the, the, I don't know if it's new, but the, um the Van Morrison, Eric Clapton song, the rebels, <laughs> you know, both, both of them are, I don't know if they're well-known anti-vaxxers or anything like that, but uh uh they have their opinions that go that way. And, and in their song, they ask, where have the rebels gone, yeah, <laughs> and it's like, dudes, right here, <laughs> look at what Neil's doing
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, Eric Clapton trends every now and again on twitter he'll yeah. he'll release another statement about uh vaxing and and that kind of thing, and there's always jokes about like during the seventies, it didn't seem mine you know taking things from needles, so why now, so um you know, Eric Clapton and Neil Young probably aren't going to be hanging out anytime. soon.
1: No. <laughs> no. So from Eric Clapton then or yeah. now to what you talked about, 70s, um, you know, sort of jumping into our theme of film and, and music, um, one of my favorite documents, I'd love to get your view on it, is White Riot. I know, mm. Like, I just, like, just the, the, the backstory to it and everything and then ending in that clash, that classic clash, performance yeah um have you, I assume you've seen it and yeah it's White
2: more- it's great about rock against uh racism um yeah. it's one of those things that you know the the essentially the backstory is in the 1970s eric clapped and mouthed off on stage in support of enoch powell who was a notorious um uh white supremacist white, right. yeah yeah white right supremacist and and uh eric clapton uh said something on stage and i don't remember the quote but it was like hey give him a chance he's not a bad guy there was more to it than that but that was essentially it and uh at the time it got picked up in the newspapers, people wrote about it. He apologized, I think, and said, "Listen, you know, I'm high all the time. I, you know, sometimes I say things I don't mean." Uh, but it stuck, and it started, uh, or it was the, the the little pebble that started the the rolling down the hill and became a boulder called "Rock Against Racism," and White Riot is uh, a look at. Um, the beginnings of rock against racism and bands like the clash and that amazing concert footage they have at the end mm-hmm. of the show uh, where these bands came out in in blistering support of of marginalized people and and uh in, an incredible performance at the end of that but you know it has uh, for me the stuff that you want in a great music doc it's not just about the music great sports movies are never just about the sports it's never about the big game at the end of the of the show of the end of the movie um, that's an element to it but great sports movies are about big universal themes about being an underdog or or whatever it might be great music documentaries to me are the same thing I want to see cool old footage and I want to see uh, interviews with people that were there and I want all that but I also want to get a real flavor of the time and I want to understand why rock against racism was a necessary thing I want to understand uh, why the clash were so into it i want to understand why british punk rock uh, really embraced it and that movie uh gives you all of that it's like a a newer film uh that will be in theaters uh a a week or so from today where we sit today on january 25th called polystyrene i am a cliche and she was the singer of x-ray specs and uh, uh, you know, a, a biracial woman in uh, a, a world that was mostly uh, made up of, of young, violent men. And it's an incredible story about a woman who battled racism and sexism and uh, mental illness and uh, came through the other end, but it's told from the point of view of her daughter. It sets up the time, the place, the personal relationships, and then you have this incredible music uh, on top of it mm. and footage I had never seen before. And you really feel by the time the end credits roll that you, you've you gotten to know somebody, but you've gotten to, more importantly or just as importantly, understand where they came from and why their music resonated so much and, and still does today, you know, uh, decades after it was recorded.
0: Hmm, where fantastic. where is this being released on Richard
2: it'll be in theaters uh it's already been out in the UK for a while polystyrene Styrene and x-ray specs only made uh one record in their heyday and then another record uh later on uh but the one record um is is uh considered a classic she's still kind of a well-known cult figure and icon over there so the movie did well over there now it's coming out here in theaters and will be on VOD as of I think it's February 4th or 11th
0: that is awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm going to be yeah.
0: writing down all of these, <laughs> all of these movies. I don't think I have, I only have a small piece of paper. So yeah. <laughs> you might, you might hear me typing, Greg. Sure. So you might have to yep. do some, some <laughs> editing uh, uh, in this. Um, wow. There, I mean, there are so many uh, music documentaries. Um, and as soon as you were talking about White Wright, I go, damn, I don't know if I've seen uh, you know, other documentaries like that, where it's not just about the music, but it's about what's going on in the culture mm-hmm. around it and, and, and the role that music plays uh, in it. Um, Greg or Richard, are, what what other um, music documentaries, you know, would you think of that that are in that same vein?
2: Uh, well, for me, I mean, I think if you look at uh, Lonely Boy, the Paul Anka doc, or maybe Don't Look Back, um, they're much different than White Riot or the polystyrene uh, film, um, but they give you an inside look. Um, at the ecosystem that was created around these stars, whether it was Paul Anka, who was a, a, a teeny bopper star at that moment, or Bob Dylan at his most kind of enigmatic uh, in the late 60s. And uh, it, it it gives you a, a flavor of the time and the place, but also these are movies that were made, you know, before publicists had taken over and limited time and, work and marketing people were controlling images and that kind of thing. So you're getting a really raw, interesting look uh, at these artists at a very specific time in their careers. And and Don't Look Back and, in fact, really paints a, a, a nice picture of what was going on uh, in and around Dylan's world that would have influenced him uh, you know, at a time when he was arguably um, at his most prolific and and creative
1: i'm I w- i'm also thinking of and i did the, it's i'm blanking on the name of the series i think it was a netflix series and it was around the same time as white riot um and is it the book is Black it, Culture? it was it's like a five-part tv series and it just it focused this is great this is <laughs> i'm totally blanking out anyway I'll try to remember it, but yeah, sure. it was it basically focused on different sort of times and sort of the, the, um, Oh, it's a, it's a, the, uh, the, I think it's on Amazon and
2: could it, the, it focused on like 1971 and would tell you about, uh, John Lennon moving to New York and sort of give you a flavor of, of the time and the place and, and with loads of music as well. Could be, could be.
1: Anyway, I can't remember what
2: they were all called, oh, like but a, I know they went yeah. by years. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: nice. let's uh let's uh sort of go back uh away from music documentaries just for a second um you know as as Greg and I were doing some uh some research uh on on topics uh, we could talk about uh so many of your and I don't know if it was the same interview with Meatloaf but um you know that populated uh your Twitter feed and it was all over uh, on Google um you had an opportunity to to speak with Meatloaf um, you know he recently passed away uh a year ago uh i guess his musical partner we could say uh jim steinman uh had passed away uh he's the genius that that wrote uh Bad out of hell and uh part 2 back is it back into hell
2: um i think so yeah
0: your 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 thoughts on on i guess that that uh, that partnership jim steinman and meatloaf
2: Well, you know, when you look at the music or listen to the music that Jim Steinman wrote, uh, imagine anyone other than Meatloaf singing it. You needed someone who was bigger than life, uh, who had this incredible three or three and a half octave range uh, in his voice. Uh, But you also needed someone who understand or uh, who would be able to understand uh, the theatrics of it all. And, you know, there's one clip the day that Meatloaf uh, passed away of my interview that kind of went viral of uh, me asking Meatloaf showing him the back of the Bad Out of Hell album with that famous picture of him and he's sort of leaning back. And he's got a red scarf in his hand and and uh he's looking at the camera. And I said, What would you know you say to this guy right now? Yeah. And uh, uh, and it was interesting. He said, you know, when I'm when I'm on stage, I I I I lose myself. And I had lost myself in the character of Meatloaf. And at that time that that the picture was taken. He said, I was meatloaf 24 hours a day. I was meatloaf in interviews and I used to lie and I'd say outrageous things. And it's true. When I was doing the research for that interview, um, I do a lot of research for uh, sit downs because the the eight or nine or 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it might be of an interview that I do that you see is usually only Uh, a, a small portion of an hour or more interview that I'll do with these people. And so the meatloaf interview was, was extensive. And so there was a lot of research to do. And I read some of these interviews and when he told me, he goes, I used to lie all the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, you mean the story of you being the last person to shake John F. Kennedy's hand isn't really true. Uh, The story of you, um, you know, picking up Charles Manson as a hitchhiker on the sunset strip. That's not true, please. Uh, So he, he told me about uh, the character, but he said that was the character of meatloaf. It was a larger than life character. And that's when the, the the relationship between Jim Steinman's songs and music and Meatloaf just completely clicked into place for me because you needed an actor. You needed someone to bring those songs to life in a way that just, I mean, there's lots of amazing singers out there. But it's interesting that you never really hear covers of Paradise by the Dashboard Light. You don't (laughs) hear a lot of Meatloaf covers. And those were big songs. You know, you would expect that perhaps, you know, they might have been covered a little bit more often than they have been. But I think that Meatloaf brought something so unique to him because he acted them. He was uh, acting as this character. David Bowie had characters. Uh, the Thin White Duke and Ziggy Stardust. And, you know, there's there's other people that have babbled uh, their their uh, or put their toe in that water I guess but Meatloaf uh, did it without telling anybody he was just this big character this larger than life character uh, that that overtook him and he brought that passion and that theatricality to the songs and that's what made the spark I think that made those records um, you know so uh, outstanding because when they didn't work together the records were remarkably less successful and you know there was just something about that combination it's Elton John and Bernie Taupin you know there's just something about you know the way that that two people can work together or Lennon and McCartney or whatever uh, there's a million Rogers and Hart you know whoever it might be there's the the one hand feeds the other uh in an interesting and artistic way
0: do you think jim gets gets sort of the respect
2: no, mean, I mean okay. I, no, I think that Meatloaf was such a larger than life character uh oh. that you know he gets the he gets all the attention. Jim Steinman's name is on the front of the Bad Out of Hell album. Uh, you know, he was certainly uh celebrated and talked about, but uh Meatloaf was the was the star. Jim Steinman was the guy behind the scenes. And yeah. I suppose he gets respect in I mean songwriters, uh sure. Todd Rundgren speaks very highly of him. Songwriters uh, tend to, I think, but I think he's kind of polarized. In in some ways, people think Mm. that, you know, the bombastic thing, you know, that he brought to uh, the kind of operatic style of music that he made. Some people uh, dig it. I mean, I grew I wore out the grooves on Bat out of hell uh, several times over. I'm probably one of the reasons that, that record is one of the biggest selling records of all time because I had it on vinyl you know, at least twice, maybe two or three times, on CD, on cassette, on a track I kept buying copies of it because uh, every time the format changed, uh, I'd buy a new one. Um, so I liked it, but, you know, I talked to lots of people the week that Meatloaf died who told me, you know, oh, I was it wasn't for me. It was too bombastic. It was too big. It was too theatrical. I was like, I guess that's exactly what I liked about it. Yeah. When I was... You you know, a, 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 almost a, a preteen when that record came out. So, uh, for me, it's uh, you know, it
0: worked. I remember as a kid, maybe grade four, or grade five, seeing that that record in my cousin's apartment, and just the cover of it. I looked at that, I go, "Whoa, what kind of music are you listening to?" Yeah. Like it, like it, the the cover does not for me does not go with the music you know oh i
2: think it does oh man That's i do amazing. i think it does yeah no i, know. I wow. think it does i you know it, it's over the top it's a little bit silly uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a motorcycle, just a totally rock and roll vehicle. You know, it's, it, it was scary uh, to me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think that, you know, the meatloaf, the intensity and the passion that he brought to it was meant to kind of bowl you over a little bit. And, uh, you know, that record album certainly, you know, caught a lot of people's eyes. So it worked in that sense.
0: Oh, for sure. Great music. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Greg. for sure. No, absolutely. Um, so, so along
1: that lines of meatloaf, like now let's transition that over towards like Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'd mm-hmm. like to talk about some of the musicals. Um, you know, Rocky Horror being an iconic thing. It's over the top. It's it's crazy. And what are you what are some of your favorite musicals that
2: uh, well, you know, I I don't love musicals, but I I will tell you, uh Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've probably seen more than almost any other movie uh, because (laughs) it, well, you know, years ago here in Toronto, there was a theater called the Roxy that used to play it at midnight. uh, And that was like a very long time ago. Uh, And you'd go after you had been out doing other things all night you'd go to the Roxy and it was where I first saw people dressed up and uh bringing toast to throw around the the audience and that kind of thing everyone would run to the stage uh or to the screen and do the time warp and it was just you know an absolute hoot uh then it moved around to various theaters in town and I've seen it uh um on the screen at a lot of different theaters, I've seen people miming it in front of the screen, uh, along with the movie Trust in Costume. I saw it in London in about 1979, I think. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I've got a bit of a history uh, with that movie. And and I still like it. I, you know, it's still um, a, a, lo- a whole load of fun. The first live show that we went to see uh, during one of those rare times in Toronto, when you were actually able to do things because we've been locked down so tightly for the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. the last, the first Live theater that we saw was at a dinner theater. I've never been to a dinner theater before. Uh, It was uptown. We go to a dinner theater. We watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show on a tiny little stage behind plexiglass. And it was super duper fun. The audience was into it. People were happy to be out. They were in costume. They were interacting with the stage. It was, of course, during the time warp, you look around, everyone's doing the time warp. So, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has a real kind of place in my heart. Um, Cabaret is a musical that uh, for me, I love. I've seen it on stage. A number of times uh, with Alan Cumming playing the MC, uh, the movie is still great, although it's much different than the than the the later Sam Mendes reinterpretation of the stage show. Uh, but the, the thing I think that I, I like about it is not only are the songs amazing and like we were talking about earlier with rock documentaries. You know, it so creates a, a sense yeah. of the time and the place of things are changing. And then at the end, nothing works out for anybody. It's the <laughs> bleakest ending, maybe, of a musical ever. Although <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Uh, but it really uh isn't uh you know that joyful kind of, you know, put a a a, a, a you know, a little Bug in your bonnet on the way out of the theater, Uh, you know it just it it doesn't work that way. But it's an incredible show. Um, So you know, both on film and on stage, uh, that both those shows, cabaret and Rocky Horror Picture Show, have stayed with me for a very long time.
1: So here's a fun fact. If I'm not mistaken, Kareem's wedding reception was at the Roxy.
0: Wasn't it? Didn't you? Didn't you? The Allen B on Danforth? We're, is that the one beside the ESO? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's now
2: the. Well, yeah. now it's like a circle K a, or yeah, something. It's important now or something. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you your writing reception way, way there. Way to go, Greg. Right? Yes, that's, that's, that's where I take you and went, me, next, go. And, <laughs> and it was
2: cheap. I mean, it was, I think it was 99 yes, it was. <laughs> cent movies or something. And, you know, yeah, it super fun
0: yeah wow so so you know speaking of musicals i think our in, in our family our favorite movie, especially during christmas time we would watch it every year would be sound of music um right. just a great uh it's a great story great just wonderful music uh and in fact uh in fact Edelweiss would be the song that my wife and I would sing to our son uh to not that we sang very good. Uh, that we'd sing to him <laughs> when, when he'd go to sleep. Uh, to see, that,
2: that's not the movie I would have thought looking in the back there with the Neil Young stuff everywhere. Yes, uh, yes. Sound of music does not strike me. No, that would no. not have been my first guess for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I no, love Phantom of the Paradise. That's another great oh, yeah. musical. Yeah. Fandom of the Paradise yeah. is a movie that uh, uh, it was only a hit in two places. Paris, where it ran forever, in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg. it ran for ages in Winnipeg, and still, I mean, the pandemic certainly has changed things. But they used to have uh, 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 like a convention every year and like Paul Williams who starred in the movie and and wrote those uh um songs like Roll on Thunder, Shine on Light, and The Days Are Long and The Nights Are frightened and all that stuff. Uh he uh he would show up, sign autographs, do that kind of thing. But yeah, the the Phantom of the Paradise, the Brian Palma movie is a movie that has, oh, wow. I think, aged uh well for rock fans and for fans of of rock musicals.
0: That's amazing. Uh yeah Let's let's take another weird swerve. Uh, okay. Not too long ago was <laughs> was Radio Day, Richard, and you shared a photo from back in the day. Uh, <laughs> your your first job at uh, CKBW in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Uh, what, what what were you a DJ? What were you doing? I was a DJ. Well, I was kind of a I was a junior
2: announcer, and
0: so okay. I
2: was a DJ uh, that played uh, rock and roll music. For part of the day on the weekends, I I think Friday night for sure, I did a a top 40 show and I really buggered it up the first time that I did it because you had to play uh, 40 songs in four hours or something like that. And everybody told me, just make sure you time it right. Make sure you time it right and you leave time for the number one song because at 10 uh, o'clock, another station, the news would kick in. Whether you wanted it to or not, it was just like bing, bing, bing. Here's the news. And so you had to, you had to time it so that your song would be fading up and you had just enough time to say, good night. Here's the news. And so I'm fretting about this all night and uh trying to work it out and i think that i've done such a great job and i the, the and i remember the song heartache tonight by the eagles and i threw that on and you hear gunk, gunk, that that drum part that opens it and then bing 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 and now the news oh, man. and so i didn't get to play the number one song other than about four or five seconds of it. I didn't get to sign off. I didn't get to do any of that stuff. So I got better at it as time went on. But uh, I also had to uh, play a lot of country music. I think on Saturday nights, I played country music. I did an easy listening show that was kind of a a late night show called Stardust, which was designed to put you to sleep. I read uh, obituaries. I read the news uh when we had our own news broadcasts and I did something called swap shop where people could call in and say, I've got a, a, a crate of mason jars that I'm willing to trade <laughs> for a bicycle tire. And then we try and get people calling in and and, oh, and arrange wow. these trades. Kind of like Kijiji only on the radio. So I did all that for a long time and and well, I don't know, it was a long time. I was young. I was sixteen probably. And wow. And uh, at the end of maybe my first year, maybe a little past that, um, I got called into the boss's office and I knew it was not going to go well. His name was Bob McLaren. He was a lovely guy. He gave me a a, a break um, doing this. And uh, he said, you know, you've got the voice to do this. You, uh, you certainly know a lot about music, he said. And I could tell the way he said it, that that wasn't a particularly strong point oh, no. for him because he said, you know, you've got all the facts and figures that I knew how many number one hits the Rolling Stones have had. I knew, you know, all the, all the trivia. He said, people don't care about that. People want to hear about people. They want to get to know you. When you can do that, then you'll be great on the radio. And I have taken that lesson away uh, for everything, whether it is uh, the books that I've written or the the radio shows that I do now, uh, my old television show, Pop Life. Um, those were, uh, those words were paramount for me. People want to hear about people. You just want to hear the stories about people's lives and get to know them. And uh, uh, so, uh, hopefully, I think I've I've done that. I, his widow wrote me. She told me she heard me tell this story a while ago, and uh, she wrote me and said, you know, I've I've listened to you for years now. Uh, she said I've often thought about your start at CKBW. She said thank you for acknowledging that Bob McLaren oh. and I will say his name again. Bob McLaren was was a part of that because he was he was a, a, a really decent guy. He gave me a shot, and frankly, I deserved to be fired. I needed to be fired from that job, but. Um, I took the job uh, there as junior announcer 30 years after uh, Donald Sutherland had worked as the uh, junior announcer at that same radio station. And I was years, many years later. I was in Los Angeles working and I was interviewing Donald Sutherland and like a light blew out or something on uh, on the set. So we had to sit there and wait while uh, they replaced the light. And we were just making conversation. And I said, hey, you know, I used to work in CKBW and his face lit up. And he said, how'd you get the job? And I said, well, essentially, I just harassed them until they gave me the job. I just made a nuisance of myself. And he said, that's exactly what I did, too. I stood in the parking lot every day, and I talked to the announcers and the news people as they came out. And, you know, eventually, after two months of doing that, they gave me the job. (laughs) So me and Donald Sutherland. are the (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that, especially the part um, about... Telling stories and people want to know you because, you know, I, I've been hearing over the past I don't know how long, um, you know, a lot of former DJs um, or radio people complain that the uh, the advice they're now they, that they were getting at at the sort of tail end of their careers was nobody wants to hear you talk, just play the music. Uh, yeah, I mean, I,
2: I, listen, I, I I haven't worked for a, a music station in sure. a very, very, very long time, uh, so I, I I don't know about that, but I, I I do know, um, you know that that makes me think that the people want to hear about people thing uh, is true, is that when you listen to. Um, WTF by Mark Maron or yeah. Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard and Monica Padman or uh, Justin Long's show or any of these you know celebrity interview shows, uh, Smartlist that are all an hour or more long and there's people telling personal stories and and telling yeah. stories that maybe they haven't told a hundred times before, uh, and I think you know that's that that speaks loudly that speaks volumes uh, about that and I think you know one of the things that makes broadcasting special is when you get to know the 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 people that you're watching on television or on your computer screen or listening on your radio when you get to know them a little bit um, you do feel kind of like they're an acquaintance of yours, and and you know a voice on the radio. If you're having a a, a down day, uh, can be comforting. Stu Jeffries is a great example of that yeah. on Boom. You know he's been kicking around radio forever. He's now you know one of the the, the top guys uh, in the country, and uh, he's just personable. People just like to spend a few hours with them and listen to some music. Marilyn Dennis is another one on Chum. You know, she's so great because you want to just like see what she has to say. Yeah. Hear her yeah. tell a story. And that's important.
1: Strombo's the same sort of thing. Like yeah, I, I just love to yeah. throw Strombo on, you know, five to seven or whatever I think it is at, at night on Apple Music and just yeah. like let it go. And like the stories he tells. And again, he promotes a lot of, we were just tweeting about it yesterday, you know, a lot of female fronted yeah. and female focused music. Um, yeah. He just, he just comes with it. He
2: just, yeah. He's always that's always been Georgia's strength is being someone who you thought you can talk to, yep. you know, yep, he's absolutely. just, he's just that guy. And, uh, and it comes through. He's a natural.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts on the movie Dune. And, and so here's mm. where I'm going with it. Um, I knew nothing about the story. Uh, I I asked my son, hey, do you want to see Dune? He goes, yeah, let's take some friends. So it was me and a bunch of great 10 kids that went to go see Dune. Um, and for me, without Hans Zimmer's music, it's a different movie. That music just took me to that place. It took me to that planet. It took me into the story. It was phenomenal. And I think the music from start to finish, it, it's always it seemed that the music was always there. Um, your your thoughts on, on the role that music plays specifically in that movie and maybe generally the, the power that it has to really create a story.
2: Well, I always think that uh, the best music in movies is, and these aren't needle drops. I'm talking about scores now, not pop yes, songs woven into mm-hmm. the thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. um, Licorice Pizza, one of my favorite movies of uh, 2021. I mean, unbelievable needle drops in that movie. And right. and so nicely chosen and and just, you know, really good stuff. But what Hans Zimmer does is something different. And, and I always think that in a score, If you're paying that much attention to the score, then it's not working Mm -hmm. because it should be subliminal. It should be there to support the story, support what's happening around you um, and and, and on screen and not be the focus of the scene. Hans Zimmer scores for me, generally speaking, uh, do that. I mean, I love his score for the thin red Line. It's a war movie. And instead of having, uh, you know, a a, a fast and frenetic kind of score, as you might expect from, you know, a movie uh, about war, it's quiet and introspective. And for me, that worked so well because it blended so nicely with the images that I was seeing on screen that it just became one thing. It melded together so well that it just was one uh, one package. And that's what I that's what I want. And that's what I expect. And generally speaking, that's what he does. Yeah. Dune is a tough one, though, because there's so much story yeah. and it has broken the backs of other writers and filmmakers who have tried to bring this to the screen. Uh, David Lynch, most notably, uh, tried to to give it a go. And while that movie has some, you know, uh, appeal because of the sheer eighties-ness of it and staying in a cod piece and all that stuff. Um, it it, it doesn't tell the story well. I think Denis Velnouve uh tells the story in an interesting way, but manages to keep you um in the story, but while giving you information in a way that just isn't people standing around going, all right, so this is what I mean by, you know, this and this, and they, they don't tell you that much information. You glean it in an interesting way. The music definitely supports that. What I didn't like about the movie was that I sat there, I invested my two and a half hours in it, and I was just starting to be thinking to myself, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in I'm not a big science fiction guy. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I'm in. I think I'm in. And uh, then it just stopped with someone (laughs) saying, you know, with Zendaya's (laughs) character saying, "Well, you know, there's more coming," and that was it. And I thought, do I have to wait two years now to see the end of this thing? It was like when they canceled Ray Donovan after the seventh season, there's all these story threads hanging. And then they're like, yeah, by the way, there's not going to be any more Ray Donovan. Now they have done a movie since then to tie up those ends. But, you know, I thought, man, I don't want to wait two years for the for the rest of this.
0: <laughs>
2: Interesting.
0: Speaking of needle drops, um, James Gunn, uh, it seemed like he's—he must have a record collection and songs he wants to see in movies. The only way my son knows, like the hits from the '80s and '90s, like the rock stuff, is from those two movies. Uh, yeah,
2: the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah. just
0: great soundtracks. You know, just great—you know—rock songs on there. Um, but he has outdone himself with Peacemaker.
2: It's unbelievable. Now, here's yeah. here's,
0: here's the thing. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong here. There is no other TV show, uh, because now mo- now most of the stuff I watch is streamed. There's no other TV show where I will, on purpose, not skip the opening. Oh. I want to yeah. watch that dancing over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, television shows used to have openings. You know, HR Puffin stuff. You go back, look that up online. It's six minutes long. Hey job, puffing stuff. Where you go when (laughs) things get rough? I can still sing the whole song because I watched it so often. And uh, the Partridge family had like a song and, and, you know, these shows had had uh, little, they were like little short films that introduced the television show every week. And now, Uh, If you look at a show like FBI, if you look at uh, The Boys, something like that, which I'm binging right now, um, there's barely an opening. Just the title comes up and that's it. And so Peacemaker uh, sort of counterintuitively, I guess, has an opening and it's fairly lengthy, but it's a (laughs) dance number and (laughs) it's unbelievable. And the thing that I love about it is that it's unexpected. Uh, Certainly the first time you see it, it really knocks your hair back. Uh, But you're right. I've watched it. I've watched the three or four episodes, whatever up there, and I've made sure to watch the opening. But my favorite part is when the eagle lands at the very end of it, yep. and then kind of looks at the camera, and then takes another step to get slightly closer to the middle of the frame. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic, and, the, and uh, the judo master jumps out of the floor. It's just, it's fantastic. It's it's uh, unusual, but fitting for an unusual show. I mean, this is a show that has. Uh, uh, unbelievable violence, uh, next to, and sometimes simultaneous, uh, with, uh, scenes of great emotion and, yeah. uh, yeah. there's nudity and vulgarity, but you know, you still, you kind of can't bring yourself to hate peacemaker, even though, you know, he's willing to kill men, women, and children in the name of peace. So it's a, do, does whatever it takes. It's a, it's a, it's a wild show with an eighties hair metal, yes. uh, soundtrack, the Choir Boys. Just great it's seven stuff. o'clock and time for a party. Was a song I completely managed to block out of my head, you know, twenty years ago, and now it's an earworm that ever since they used it on that episode is stuck in my head again.
0: Either either that or James Gunny owns a piece of some record label that has that's right. All of these glam metal yeah. albums on it. That's uh, <laughs> that that is fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to get. So years ago, and, and I, I don't know where I watched it, but I remember watching this, uh, this movie. And, and I thought, in all seriousness, it was a real documentary. Mm. And I couldn't for the life of me think, why does this guy look like Garth Brooks so much? But Garth it's not Garth Brooks. It's some <laughs> rock guy. I said, this is a, such a great story. Um, and it turns out. It's 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 uh it's a, it's a it's a mock, it's a mockumentary yeah. on this the alter ego of, of Garth Brooks Yeah, kind but of Garth
2: I, Brooks's rock
0: and roll alter ego. Yeah, right? but I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed that movie. Um and I thought I was getting like the inside scoop on this artist I'd never heard of <laughs> that had done so well. <laughs> I,
2: I don't know that I've ever seen the movie, but um you know, I kinda love uh Garth Brooks that he he took this weird sidestep and created an alter ego. I mean, some people have written books under pseudonyms uh, just to see if uh, they they can make it on the strength of their writing alone and not, you know, a very famous name or whatever it might be. Uh, there's been a bunch of that. I think mean, Stephen King did it. He was Richard Bachman. I think he he wrote a few books uh, under that name uh, before he was exposed. Uh, and then those books ended up doing very well. But I kind of love Garth Brooks, who yeah. didn't really, I mean, he just wore a wig. He didn't really do all that much to to disguise his identity. I don't think. That's what I'm saying, but it, I, it was, yeah. I kind of love it. I kind of love that, you know, in country music, which tends to be a little conservative and, and, you know, they don't take big swings like that. uh, I kind of love that he was at that moment, the biggest star in country music and he decided to do something just kind (laughs) of kooky. And, uh, I'm, I'm all for the kooky. I wish in, in music now, I, I wish there was a bit more kookiness. I I, I wish there was, you know, a, a few more people, um, that not necessarily sounded like, uh, you know, meatloaf, but would, would have sure. larger than life personas and really just put it out there. And maybe I'm just missing it because I'm old now, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I wish there was a bit more of that.
1: I hear you. That's, that's funny. Um, cream story about Watching that and not realizing Uh, my wife tells a story that it was probably late 70s, early 80s. She was babysitting and she watched a movie and she went home and she said to her parents, I can't believe you never because her parents played tons of music, so many bands. Like she grew up in a musical household, like listening to music. And she said to her parents, I can't believe that you never introduced me to this band. And they said, well, what band's that? And she said, it's a band called The Ruttles.
2: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And so
1: so where I want to go with that question for you from a mockumentary perspective, and this could be where we go to fist I'm not really sure. Yeah. The Ruttles or Spinal Tap?
2: Well, you know, uh, listen, they are both great. I think that they're very different, yeah. but both absolutely completely enjoyable. And I, I think what makes both of them work is that they both have pretty great songs. I mean, the Spinal Tap stuff uh, is is certainly built for parody, as as is the vital stuff, too. But um, they, the, the songs are kind of legit on both of them. And um, I like that. And I I, I, I like that. Um, the the Ruttles sort of had some Beatle influence. I think George put some money into it, maybe. I don't know. It was, it was just, handmade films. I think it was yeah, handmade, handmade films, film, films. right? So um I, I I I like all that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into a fight about this because uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not sure which way I would go with it. Both of them are great. Uh, you I know, get, if you want yeah. to do a, a sit-down uh, you know, with mockumentaries, uh pull up those two and then do a double bill of some Jonathan Demi. Uh, rock docks and away you go. You've got a, a perfect weekend right there.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly, for me personally, I could never pick between the two because yeah. to your point, it, the great stories, the parody is hilarious and the songs like, like I can put Cheese and Onions by the ruddles yeah. on and, and it's a, it's a, I got goosebumps. It's a great song. There's and Christmas so Christmas with the amazing- Devil.
2: I love to have Spinal Tap kind of played, you know, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, they they released a, a Christmas single, which I have in here somewhere. Wow. <laughs> uh, called Christmas. It's a picture disc that I have called Christmas with the Devil. And it's fantastic stuff. It's fantastic stuff. And uh, um, I met Michael McKean once and had him sign it. And he said, I can't believe anybody bought this. I'm like, I know, <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> That's awesome
0: so, so obviously one of the things that many people have been doing over the past couple of years, but especially in 2020, was uh, you know, subscribe to Netflix, Amazon Prime and uh, here in Canada, um, Crave and, and just all of these you know streaming platforms and consuming tons of content. Uh, my favorite movie from 2020 uh, was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom." Mm. Uh, it, it, it. Um, I, I'd never heard. It. I thought I was the only one who watched it when it when it came out. I said, no one knows about this movie, right? Yeah. It, it. There was no fanfare. I don't think about it, but it just. Well, it, had, it
2: was a fairly big deal because it was Chadwick Boseman's last film. It was his yeah. last yeah. film performance, and so uh, there was a. a, a Fair amount of of trumpeting about it online uh, because of that. It, he had just died weeks previous to that, uh, unexpectedly. No one knew that he was ill, uh, and then along comes this final performance uh, from him that was staggering. I mean, the best. Its fury and 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 wow. uh, everything else that went into the making of that. And it's a good music movie, but it's a oh my tremendous goodness. performances all the way through.
0: Just amazing. I, I thought he did not win an Academy like that. That movie was like, it just blew, blew me away. And I think, you know, we just started binging after that movie, all the Chadwick Boseman movies we could find. Yeah uh it was like, well, I, like and and
2: you know he made a a career in his early part of his career anyway of playing real life characters Jackie Robinson and James Brown and right. his his version of James Brown's life story it's called Get on Up is uh terrific it's really good
0: yeah yeah and and Viola Davis just yeah you know a treasure yep. a treasure for sure wow um I have. I want to get your thoughts on. I want to get your thoughts on Eight Mile. Um, I think one of probably one of the. A lot of people call it one of the best movies. One of the best um, renditions of real life hip hop. Um, that that's that's out there. What what are your thoughts on 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 Eight Mile? Yeah, I, I
2: I I don't know that I really have any. I mean, it it is a good movie. I haven't seen it for an age. Brittany Murphy, Eminem. You know, it's one of those films yeah. that has, uh, I think, really good performances, particularly Brittany Murphy. I think is really vulnerable and and steely simultaneously, which is really interesting to see an actor pull off and do really well. Um, Eminem, who knew that that guy could act? Maybe you know, that was all he had in him. Cause I don't know that he's made a lot of movies since then, no, yeah, but, but it's a, it, it's a movie. I think that probably um, for that moment captured the zeitgeist of what was happening in hip hop uh, you know, really, really well. Um, but again, I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, I'd have to yeah. have another look at it.
0: For hmm. sure.
1: So, so when Kareem mentioned about everybody getting on Netflix and you mentioned about uh, Amazon prime. So I realized what I forgot before was the episode um, that i was talking about sort of in that 70s time frame black london was lover's rock from small axe right steve McLean, yeah steve mclean yeah and,
2: and i mean those the, it's part of a trilogy of of films and uh it, it's it just beautiful looking unbelievable music uh, um, yeah, these are they're, I think they're on Amazon. I can't remember. Yes, There's so Amazon many Prime. streaming, yeah, it it's just- Amazon Prime. I uh, check them out, have a look again. Uh, paints this beautiful picture of a time and place, uh, and and does so with a, a brush that uh is largely made up of music. That was a yeah. clunky metaphor, but there you go.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I no, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted, I wanted to be, I actually texted my background. Tell me what's the name of that. And then so she (laughs) said a back, small wax, And then I remembered it was Lover's Rock. So so one of the questions I like to ask, and I know Kareem wants to ask one to finish up. But one of the questions I like to ask um, is what's in what are you listening to lately? What's in your earbuds that you're checking out that people should check out?
2: Um, I've been listening to um, a weird mix of stuff Uh, I've been listening to because David Bowie. Uh, the patron saint of the house of Grouse over here would have been seventy five years old uh, this month. Yeah. Been listening to a lot of David Bowie, particularly uh, Black Star, which is you know still a, a tower. brilliant, brilliant, uh, I uh, yeah, oh. brilliant record. Oh. And uh, and uh, I've been listening to what else have I been listening to? Um, I've been listening to uh, uh, well, here, where's my phone? I'll tell you what <laughs> I've been listening to. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's it's uh, you know I'm 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 not someone, well, you know, definitely during the pandemic, I'm not going out and and rifling through records in the way that I once would have um, uh, because uh, there's just no, you know, opportunity to do that. And, and I'm not sure that um, I've got, um, you know, the time to do it anyway, but um, I have been trying to uh, educate myself and learn about sparks. When I was a Mm. a much younger person, I had come on my house and and a few of those records Um, and uh, went off them, forgot about them for a while, but then I watched Mm -hmm. the recent Edgar Wright documentary called The Sparks Brothers and uh, ended up kind of digging it and sort of like thinking about that music again. Um, So there's that. I've been uh, uh, listening to what else have I been listening to? There's all kinds of weird stuff on my just uh, Danzig Mother I listened to recently, Put a Straw Under uh, Baby by Brian Eno. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, Blue Monk by Thelonious Monk. I'm trying to uh, yeah. train my ear uh, to become sophisticated enough Look to listen <laughs> to Thelonious Monk. <laughs> I listened to Pomp's and Pride by Toots and the Maytals today. So oh. yeah, so I'm just I'm, I'm I, you know again kind of uh, all over the map. I, I you know I tell people I grew up in this tiny little town and the only movie theater in that town. Uh, just showed whatever movies they could get. And so I would go to the Saturday afternoon matinee, and it might be uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, except that it's July. But that's the only movie they could get, and so <laughs> they would play it. So I would I would watch that, and then I go back for Saturday night, and it could be Saturday Night Fever if they could get a print of that, because that would be current for the time I was living there. Or it might be tartovsky's Stalker, being a weird Russian science fiction movie, because that's what they could get that week. And I tell you all of that, uh. Because um, what it meant is that I don't really think in terms of genre and, and that kind of thing. A movie is a movie to me. If it's Stalker or Solaris, uh, something like that, or if it's Saturday Night Fever, they're all, they're all pretty much the same to me. I'll sit through them. Uh, in terms of what I'm listening to, Thelonious Monk and David Bowie seem to sit pretty well together to my ear. So, nice. um, you know, I, I, I listen to uh,
1: lots of stuff in a, in a variety of different ways. That's awesome. I, I just, before I throw it over back over to Kareem, I, I had the chance to see Toots, what was it? About four years ago at the Danforth. Were yes. you there at that show? I was not. Oh. I would have loved oh. to have seen that. Yeah. It was, it was, again, goosebumps. Phenomenal, oh, yeah. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal show.
0: All right. I've got some rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. And you could, you could answer them quickly or you could spend time explaining. <laughs> I'll, 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 leave that up to you. Okay. So first movie you ever remember watching?
2: Uh, The first movie that I remember made a huge impression on me was uh, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. And the reason that it made a huge and I haven't seen it since. And so maybe this scene does not exist in the movie, but in my mind's eye, it does. (laughs) Uh, One of the characters gets shot. And uh, you, the camera is on his face. You hear the gunshot. He goes like this and he gets shot a little bit. He gets knocked back. The camera goes down and shoots the rest of the scene through the hole in his chest that the bullet made. (laughs) And I remember (laughs) thinking as a kid, "Ah, that's pretty cool. it probably wasn't the first movie I saw in a theater, but it's the first one that made me love movies.
0: First one you remember. Absolutely. Your favorite movie.
2: Oh, that's a tough one and could be a different thing any day. I mean, I'll watch Pulp Fiction anytime uh, because every time I see a little bit of Pulp Fiction, uh, I always uh, think to myself, well, I'll just watch until you know the uh, whatever scene, till the Gimp scene, and then I can't. You know, I just I end up watching the entire thing because it makes me think about the the weekend that that movie opened. Uh, I went to see it at the Varsity over here. I lined up, I got a ticket. Everyone was talking about it. It's pre Internet. Nobody had seen anything. You hadn't heard that much. You just heard like this is going to be something special. And the movie was running late because people weren't leaving. They were applauding afterwards and then they were talking to one another about it. So I, I I get into a screening. I sit there for the two hours plus that the movie takes. And then as soon as it ended, I ran out of there while everyone else was applauding and talking to one another, bought another ticket at the wow. box office and got in line and went right back in. And uh, that movie, I think of that every time uh, I've, I've, you know, I, I think of that. I think of, uh, hitchhiking years ago, when I lived in a place called Liverpool, Nova Scotia, Halifax was 200 miles away, probably more. And uh, it was hard to get to. And I was a kid when the movie Tommy came out, and I was determined okay. that I was going to go see Tommy. So I, I wasn't obviously ever going to play in Liverpool or, or not for a long time. And so I uh, hitchhiked, Uh, took a played hookie from school hitchhiked to Halifax uh, which took hours went to Tommy saw it three times in a row hitchhiked home got home really late at night got grounded for the rest of my life for for (laughs) a year or something but it was worth it you know so those are those are movies that pop into my head but I think of movies that I've uh, sort of taken extreme measures to see
0: wow so I I don't know if you're allowed to say this but Uh, the movie that you can never get your time back.
2: There's a movie called, um, I hope they serve beer in hell. And it's, you know, it was not a particularly popular movie, but it's a real kind of like frat boy movie. Uh, film based on a book uh, that was uh, an inexplicable bestseller for a minute and i can't remember the guy's name, but it made him popular for for seconds and they made a movie out of it, and I just really hated it and i've mostly blocked it out of my head except that I remember I was reviewing it on CTV and uh, I just tore it a new one, and then you, we assigned a star rating for it, and I gave it minus infinity times 10 <laughs> That's the the worst rating I've ever given a movie.
1: Wow! That was that was uh, Tucker Max.
2: That was Tucker Max. That's right. Tucker that's Max,
1: right. who was who was the first. I mean, sort of very early internet. I will help you sleep with as many women as yep. as, as you want yep. to. Kind of persona. Um, yep. Unapologetic
2: salesman. about it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, the last <laughs> movie you saw in a. Th- The last movie you saw in a theater. Now, I I preface it with this, that you probably have access to theaters that that Greg and I might not. You probably get to go in when no one's there, so you can social distance. But I guess the last movie you properly saw in a theater
2: Uh, was The Matrix uh, Resurrections. And uh, that was with an audience um, at at an IMAX screening. Uh, Keanu was there. And, oh, wow. um, I mean, the movie is terrible, but um, <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was exciting to, you know, to, to, to to be there in the moment that uh, the, the studio had taken over it was at the Scotiabank Theater in Toronto. Yeah. And there's 14 screens. They had taken over all 14 screens. Uh, for this to show that movie that night and uh, I was lucky I got to go to the big theater see it on IMAX and uh, and it was it was an event it was it was sure. kind of a, a, a cool now most of the, honestly most of the movies that I've seen over the last two years since the pandemic have been at press screenings where you know there'll be uh, three or four or five of us in a theater that seats three or four hundred people so you wouldn't even know that there's anyone else in the room with you
0: yeah What's the one movie we should see this weekend? It could be streaming, it could be in the theaters. But what's what's the one movie we should see uh, this weekend? There's really
2: nothing that's new this weekend. Sure, um, I think that I, I I think that just the idea of of uh, theaters being closed and the weather's crappy and that has has made for a Fairly miserable, um, you know, January so far in terms of stuff. But this polystyrene, I am a cliche uh, documentary that opens next week is fantastic. If you haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet, um, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie about, uh, you know, a, a, a platonic mostly platonic relationship between uh, a, a young boy, 14, 15 years old, and a, and a, a, a young woman who's a little bit older uh, is fantastic. Alana uh, Haim is the uh, the star who's getting a lot of uh, buzz for that. And it, she stars opposite Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Connor Hoffman. Oh, wow. uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. And it will make you feel better on the way out than you felt on the way in.
0: Licorice <laughs> pizza. All right. mm-hmm. Well, it's we'll the name look of
2: at it's a it's a weird title, but it's named after a, a, a chain of um, record stores in Los Angeles in the 70s. So imagine a pizza kind of looks like a record made of licorice.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much for your time. It is so much yes. appreciated. Um, we, to tell us what's going on next in, in your world. Where can people go to to listen to you, to, to watch you, to sort of uh, consume more Richard Krauss?
2: Uh, Well, my website's a good place to start, richardkraus.ca. My podcast, Last Call with Richard Kraus, is on Apple and Spotify and all the places that you find podcasts. And it's uh, a look- Because now we can't really go to bars to have a drink. I take you to great bars around the world and tell you stories about uh, the Frolic Room, the last great dive bar on Hollywood Boulevard, or Harry's New York Bar in Paris, where they invented the Bloody Mary, or the Tonga Room in San Francisco, which is one of the world's great tiki bars, where Anthony Bourdain walked in and said, if you hate this place, you probably also hate kittens. So. (laughs) So you can find that, you know, wherever you find it. And then on CTV and uh, CP24, all the kind of usual places I've been popping up for years.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated.
2: Thanks for having me.